Welcome to From Embers to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. It isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how do we respond? Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. And now, here is your host, Dave Hollenbach. Today, I'm talking with Autumn Clifford. She is a law enforcement professional with over eight years of field experience. She is the host of the podcast, Changing the Culture, where she provides support to fellow first responders in relation to situations only we encounter. She's passionate about ending the suicide epidemic for first responders. She teaches emotional wellness, resiliency, and mindfulness for public safety professionals. She has a second degree black belt and competed in both national and international competitions for many years. Autumn taught martial arts for over 10 years and ultimately developed her own self-defense company teaching women to defend themselves and to build confidence. She has a bachelor's in science in criminal justice and psychology from Thomas College and a master of science in criminal justice law enforcement administration from Southern New Hampshire University. She became a certified instructor at the Maine Criminal Justice Academy and a defensive tactics instructor. Six years into her career, she injured her back while on the job and was told by doctors that full-time patrol would not be an option anymore. This led to some soul searching and ultimately toward what you are doing right now. Um, we'll dive deeper into that, but right now I'd like to get a sense of your life's history and trajectory. Like, uh, you know, where did you grow up and, and what was your childhood like? Yeah. Thanks for having me, Dave. I really appreciate it. Um, and also you did a really great job reading that. I'm like really proud of you. <laughs> you made me sound so good. Um, so <clears throat> a little bit about me. So yeah, I've been in the martial arts since I've been five years old. Um, I became a police officer when I was 20. Um, but it was a little bit different. I'm, I have a little bit different of a story than most people. My husband, uh, he's a state trooper. We met in the police academy. He wanted to be a state trooper since he's been five years old. <laughs> he just knew. And uh, that wasn't me. I actually never really knew what I wanted to do. Um, it's just that I was a second degree black belt. And I've been fighting since I've been five years old. I mean, I've been in a lot of fights <laughs> at school. I've been, I've been in the ring, a lot of fights at my class, at my dojo. I, I trained like four to five nights a week in my entire high school career. Um, and so, and I was in the, I was like 13 years old and I got promoted to go to the black belt class. And so I'm fighting big motherfuckers and they were not going easy on me. And, uh, and so I, I, um, I graduated uh, high school a year early and I said, screw everybody. I'm going to go waitress because at the time I was making a ton of money and I did. And my mother had a stroke because not like literally, but she was so upset because she wanted me to go to college. And I said, no, I'm going to go do this thing. I ended up doing hair in a hair salon. And if you know me for five seconds and you know, like, what the fuck were you doing? Um, <laughs> I was having like my early life crisis of figuring myself out and um, that didn't work out. And I said, I just said, 
okay, I got to go to college. I'm going to be a police officer. Um, my uncle was a chief of police and he, I was very close to my uncle. Um, and my karate instructor was actually a police officer part-time. But um, so those were really the kind of the only two influences. I didn't get to spend a lot of time with my uh, uncle because he was the chief and he was busy as, you know, all get up. Um, and so I said, you know what? I'm going to take this black belt and I'm going to put it to good use. Like what other like profession or career can I use this in? And, um, you have to understand my whole life has been martial arts and then teaching it and being in a male dominated industry. It really was, I don't care what anybody says. And, uh, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to go do this. (laughs) And, um, and then I, and I went to college for it. I got a, got an opportunity. The universe had my back and I started out as a court security deputy, um, working court security in the court, um, and making great relationships with judges and, um, and then I worked uh, as a transport deputy, transporting inmates across my whole state of Maine. So that's really how I got started. Nice. So did you grow up in Maine? Yeah, I grew up in uh, central Maine near Augusta. Um, yeah, I was, you know, one of these girls who, uh, I was so funny that we're having this conversation. I was thinking about this like two hours ago. I was like 12 years old and thought I was a gangster. <laughs> anybody else like did that but like I totally thought I was like I was gangster I'm like I have pictures of myself like wearing an adidas visor not a hat a visor like a little bit sideways (laughs) like what are you doing (laughs) but yeah so that's where I come from (laughs) so other than martial arts did you do any sports in high school yeah I played basketball um I loved basketball And I played that all up into my sophomore year. Sophomore year was I had to buckle down and I had to get my black belt. Uh, That was the deal in my house. My mom's like, you can do whatever you want, but when it comes time to get your black belt, you're going all in. And that was when sophomore year is when it picked up for me. And I was going for, I was going to karate at the dojo and it wasn't one hour a night. I'd get there at four and I would not leave until 10 PM every single night. Um, I was teaching and training and it was really my life. So obviously sports kind of, um, set aside one year, my freshman year in high school, freshman year in high school, I played, um, field hockey or maybe it was eighth grade. I can't remember. I played field hockey and, uh, first year ever playing. And I was nominated to be the captain. Um, it didn't work out because it was a, it was a politic thing. Some girl was like, yo, I've been doing this a lot longer than you. Like I'm gonna, this is my, like went to the coach and was like, no, like, I deserve this. And she did. She did. Like if you talk about like longevity. And so that happened. I never played field hockey again. I didn't love that. I love basketball. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much the sports. I mean, karate. I trained in so when I say karate, I just want to be clear with everybody. So um I have a black belt in Shotokan karate and and jujitsu and judo. So my study is not just like straight up um, what you see on Cobra Kai. <laughs> it's actually, um, jujitsu and judo. Uh, I was trained in ninjutsu a little bit and I was, um, I took it upon myself. I went and boxed, uh, and I, I trained in Muay Thai kickboxing. And then recently I started uh, BJJ 
which is different than the Japanese style of jujitsu that I trained in. Um, and that's obviously very popular right now. My back really didn't love that. I mean, again, I'm wrestling big motherfuckers who just can't, they just can't flow. They got to just crush you. And it's like, oh man, I'm (laughs) injured, you know? So, um, so martial arts kind of been set to the side right now a little bit. (laughs) So on that note, I've been doing jujitsu as well. And, uh, the BJJ and what I discovered. So I'm 46 years old and I, I wrestled, I did Muay Thai, um, in high school, I, I wrestled high school, uh, after high school did, um, freestyle and Greco Roman, you know, I did, like Aikido and mm-hmm. all that kind of jazz. But this Brazilian jiu-jitsu is f- so phenomenal. But mm-hmm. my body feels it every day. Oh, yeah. So yeah. what I what I found is there's a jiu-jitsu specific yoga. Yes. That has been helping me tremendously. Yep. Good. Uh, and That's you awesome. know chiropractor as well so yes exactly (laughs) i wanted to talk a little bit more about your childhood do you have any siblings no only child oh wow cool yeah spoil spoil brat are you no i i've got uh um younger brother who uh he he passed away in 2010 and then uh an even younger half brother who lives in Vail, Colorado. Awesome guy. And then I have two older stepbrothers that live in Illinois. Um, cool. So, um, you know, and really close to my cousins. Uh, yeah. So they're they're essentially siblings. Um, yeah. Pretty, pretty close family. That's um, cool. Yeah. Growing up, what. Uh, you know, what did your father do, your mom? like? Yeah, so what's kind of cool is, um, and I just want to say, I love that you're asking these questions. Nobody ever asks questions. I've been on a lot of podcasts. I'm a podcast host myself, right? And I'll, nobody asks these questions. So this is really cool. Um, so I actually come from a family of entrepreneurs and which is actually cool because now what I'm doing. So um, my father, he was an entrepreneur from the get-go, that guy. Uh, my father's he's an old school Mainer and he's from the streets. He is incredibly street smart. He doesn't even have his, I don't think he even has his GED from high school. He said, fuck high school, I'm out. And he just went to work and he, um, he ran a pool hall, which is actually one of the, it's like this big pool hall in like central Maine. It's like this big deal. Um, he actually started that and ran that with a partner of his, um, and then before he sold it, and then he went into taking down own barns and buildings and he would sell the antique lumber. He like created this. This was like some create, like this is year, like 20 years ago. My father like created this for himself. Um, and he was doing excellent, did really good. Um, he got, he got a back injury, kind of interesting. And, uh, he ended up retiring. So my father is retired now. My mother, is also an entrepreneur. She is, um, she's a licensed massage therapist, but she does a lot of energy work. And if anybody knows anything about like the spiritual side, she's actually a shaman. So 
Yeah. So, um, spirituality has always been a really big, uh, foundation of my family. I went to, um, I went to Sunday school, um, growing up, but not with my mom. Interestingly enough, my mom and dad didn't go, um, went with my cousins and it really gave me this beautiful foundation. And then with my mom's spirituality, she like, she like led me to being able to open a lot more doors. And so we talk about God and the universe interchangeably, uh, for some Christians, they don't believe in that, but that's okay. It's each his own. And, um, she really helped me to work with like the universe and the powers bigger than me to achieve and manifest my life. And I will just say, if it wasn't for that, I would not be where I'm at specifically. Like when I think of like the lowest times in my life and if I didn't believe in a bigger power, if I wasn't constantly commuting, communicating with the universe and I'm like, okay, show me a sign. <laughs> you better show me a sign because I'm low <laughs> and, and it would. And, and, um, yeah, really helpful. Nice. Can you give me, I don't know, a, a sense of your personal philosophy and beliefs? My personal philosophy. Well, um, you know, okay. So I'll tell you what, I'm not super original. But there's this book um, and it's called The Universe Has Your Back. And it's by Gabrielle Bernstein, who's been a spiritual teacher of mine for years. Um, that really like sums me up. I just truly believe that the universe or God has your back. I believe that we need to tap into the powers and start working with the universe. And, and here's what I under, I believe. The universe is within us. And when you tap into your truth, when you tap into who you really are, you start working with yourself instead of against yourself, your life is going to change in a way that you could just never um, like expect or understand until you're actually doing it. That's really what happened to me. So when I got injured, I was, I got injured in the line of duty. I have a back injury. I'm um, actually a lot of first responders probably have a very similar back injury to me. Um, I have a degenerative disc. Um, I have a, um, a bulge disc, but there's another word for it right now. And I have a tear in the a herniated disc and I have a tear. And, and, the, and what the problem here is, is the tear. Okay. And it's in my lowest back. It's like L5S1 or something. And that's where the doctors were like, um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know about him. Like, you know, I, I don't know. And that's what my doc said. He was like, I really don't know. I don't know about you. Cause what happens if you're in a fight, if you're lifting something heavy, like what happens? And all of a sudden that shit tears. He's like, and then you can't walk again. Like, I really just don't know. And so we took that information. We're like, shit, right? Like shit. And my agency was like, okay, well you can be a dispatcher. And I was like, are you fucking nuts? I'm a cop. I'm not a dispatcher. <laughs> and, um, no offense to any dispatchers, but you know, my cops will understand that. Like if you, when you're out on the road and you're type A and you're like out there doing the thing, you don't want to be a dispatcher. And so um, I had to get done the job. And when I following that, what a lot of people don't understand, there was a lot with the agency that I went like just a lot of stuff, whether the agency meant it or not, it was a lot of stuff. Like they, every officer got told not to talk to me done. Don't talk to her. She autumn, like, don't talk to her. She's not to, she's not, and she's not going to be coming into this police department, like just all this shit. And so like my partner who he and I would hang out with his significant other, like off duty and stuff. And like, we were, I thought we were really close. I got uninvited from his wedding. And so like, 
lot of mental, emotional shit just took a toll. And then I started being questioning my identity. You have to understand, not only am I this second degree black belt, I am halfway through my master's in criminal justice at this moment, right? And I'm an instructor at the police academy and I'm all these things, but it has to do with being a cop, right? So I'm like, I met my husband. He's a, he's a trooper. I met him in the academy and I'm like, who am I? Who am I? I went through this massive identity crisis and I'm like, what the hell am I going to do? Like in my mind, I'm like, I guess I have to be a probation officer. Like that's the next thing I have to do because what else can I do with all of this criteria, right? Like with my credentials, like what can I go do? And I hit a really big depression. Um, like I, there was, there was uh, three to six months where I was like not getting out of bed. My back was killing me sitting. I couldn't sit for long periods of times. So I couldn't stand for long periods of times. So I had to lay down a lot. Um, and I was going and seeing my chiropractic neurologist three to five days a week, Dave, that's a lot. Okay. And, um, you know, when I'm on this pain med and this, you know, and I'm like refusing to take all of it. Like I, you know, just wouldn't, wouldn't take the steroid because it was just making me fat. And I'm like, I just can't do this. So I'm in like all this pain and I'm in this like mind fuck and I'm depressed, you know? And, and, um, and so like when I tell people like, look, like I know what it's like to be depressed. Like I know, I know. And not for just a short period of time. Like my husband used to sit on the edge of my bed and be like, babe, listen, where did my girlfriend go at the time we were just boyfriend girlfriend and he's like where did she go like you're not who I got with I don't know who you are like what's going on and I'd be like I'd pull the covers up over my head I'm like yeah bye (laughs) like I don't want to talk to you you don't understand what I'm going through you don't know what this is like nobody knows what this is like fuck everybody. Like, that's really how I felt. And I know a lot of people listening can relate to that. And, um, and Dave, if it wasn't for, you know, some people call it grace, some people call it God, I call it my angels. If it wasn't for that, I don't know what would have happened. I just started getting this inclining, um, to, well, my mother, my mother, who's amazing. And she's, she really is amazing. It, I, I come from an Italian, fa- Italian family. So my family, we don't beat around the bush about anything. Okay. Like nothing on Christmas. It's, Hey, you motherfucker. How's it going? And that's just how we talk. Okay. So my mom, my mom calls me up. Yep. I've had enough of this. You need to, you need to listen to me. <laughs> and I'm like, no, you know, yep. You do. She s- starts sending me some videos of Tony Robbins. Cause she knew that I loved him. And, um, so I listened to Tony Robbins. I listened to Gabby Bernstein. I listened to some Eric Thomas, one of the best motivational speakers of our time. And they really got me out of bed. And I really believe that was the universe. And then when I got out of bed, I, I, I didn't immediately go, okay, I'm going to start a business. It was maybe I could do something with this. Maybe this is happening for me, not to me. Remember that underline that anybody listening, maybe this is happening for me, not to me. And because I was just a little bit optimistic, it was like the floodgates would open up. And now listen, let's just be honest. I'm crushing like three to six months of time period. Like it wasn't just like this day. And I was like, like the, the lights came shining down or anything. It took a lot of time, but, um, that, that really changed my life. And, um, got me to where I am and who I am today and what I'm doing. Nice. 
it's it's really interesting there are a lot of parallels between you and I. Um, I I'll give you a story. I haven't talked about this on on the show. Um, Look at us doing new things. I like it. Yeah. Uh, so I got hired on the fire department in 99. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I grew up in the fire service. My dad retired from the department I got hired on with. And, uh, you know, I, I just grew up with, with these guys that I eventually started working with. And I've got the same name as my dad. I started working there. Everybody kind of knew me. Uh, I was very, very motivated, uh, really gung-ho. I, I wanted to be, you know, that that macho smoke eater firefighter and, um, and, and I was all in, um, but I was young and, uh, I had taken some time after, um, the first semester of paramedic school and went down South, uh, South Florida to visit family and friends. And it happened to be over the winter break and, um, on, the morning of December 31st, 2000, I, uh, or I'm sorry. Yeah, December 31st, December 31st, 2000. I was doing, I think they clocked me at 72 miles an hour in a 25. Um, and I had been drinking and ultimately I was arrested for DUI. And then uh, some additional incidents uh, where, you know, it was minor disciplinary infractions, but they fell on the heels of that DUI. I ended up getting terminated from the department that I grew up in. And, you know, everybody knew me, knew my dad. What a what a stain on my dad's legacy, you know, and it was very, very humbling. And I went into a really deep depression, um, but I didn't have any way to pay my bills. So I, I went back to work doing the stuff that I had put myself through school doing uh, construction and, um, I would say, so I was terminated July of 2001 and September 8th, 2001, I fell off of a three-story apartment building and wow. broke my back. Oh shit. So you can relate to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. There's so many parallels. And, and so I was on my couch high as a kite on Oxycontin uh, mm -hmm. with the TV on. And my mom calls me that morning, September 11th, mm -hmm. you know, crying about us being attacked. And I, it was on my TV. I just thought I was watching a movie and I was really rude to her and hung up on her. Cause I thought, man, she's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. uh, and then from that day forward, I, I never took another painkiller. 
Wow. So I was taking ibuprofen <laughs> for a broken back. Yeah, I can relate. <laughs> uh, so again, I'm watching my my brothers yeah. die. Uh, people that I'd worked with were traveling up to New York. People that I knew were going to Ground Zero to help. And I'm confined to my couch or my bed. Yeah. So went into this depression and, you know, I'm like, woe is me. What a, what a fuck up am I? You know, I just ruined my life and now I'll never be a firefighter again. And um, it's all a result of, you know, my, my immaturity, my poor decisions. And I, I, my family started worrying about me because I just kind of went off the grid and, you know, unbeknownst to me, people were checking in on me to make sure that I hadn't offed myself. <laughs> and uh, I can imagine. And um, at one point, my, my uncle, my uncle Al, uh, my aunt Virginia's husband, he called me concerned and we talked for a while. And one of the things they said to me, because I just started unloading and he was like, listen, you can allow that to define you or you can use it as fuel to make mm. yourself better. Mm. You can, you can actually define how others view you through your actions, how you overcome this, this, uh, the situation. And so from that point forward, I was determined to strengthen my back and, you know, get back into the fire department. And, you know, through the grievance process, I ended up getting my job back and, you know, the rest is history. But um, that was such a, a difficult time where, you know, you feel like you're broken. Yes. And yeah, nobody can understand. No. And it's, it's easy to basically have that attitude like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. I don't want to hear it. Just don't even talk to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and when you're in that low, and I, maybe you can agree, is there, there really was nobody who could understand. There wasn't all these podcasts. There wasn't anybody out there like, hey, I'm a cop for your, you know, for you. I'm a firefighter. I've been there. I've been where you are. There was nobody. I felt just like you, like I felt ashamed, especially being a female. And like, I'm not pulling the female card, but I am because like you do have to be a certain kind of, if you want to be squared away and respected as a first responder period, you need to be of a certain caliber. We know that. But then when you're a female and you're the underdog, like you have to be of this certain caliber. And I knew that. And, and that was no problem for me because naturally, I mean, I know, and I, I know I sound very arrogant, but it's the truth. And I'll own that. Like naturally I have very good command presence. You know, I've been punched in the face. I've seen the light. I've almost been knocked out. Like I've been in fights. So for me, going and being a police officer, going on these calls, like that was never an issue for me. Right. That was very natural for me. So I, it was very, very humiliating and embarrassing for me to be like, fuck, like, yeah, I'm being a weak link. Like I'm being whatever. And everybody, you know, 
I don't know. So it, it was definitely, it's definitely this mind fuck. What for your situation and mine, here's where my head goes. Where was the agency prior? Like how, where was the agency to help you? Obviously. So when you got, you know, your DUI, like obviously there's a lot more issues that come or came prior to that, you know, and like, where are our agencies with helping us with that? It's like, they teach us, you know, I can't speak for what it's like to be a firefighter. Okay. But I can tell you as a police officer, they pretty much dehumanize us in the academy because we have to. And I get that. Like, you don't want me full of emotion dealing with some shit that I have to deal with and have to see same shit that you firefighters have to see and deal with. Like, you don't want me full of emotion there. No, but, but you're not teaching me how to process it. We got like a one hour fucking block on like, you might see some shit and it's okay. I'm like, what? Like, what? Like, that's it? And our agencies are, are hanging us out to dry. And I'm not trying to be negative, but it's just the truth. It's just, you know, we look at the suicide statistics, firefighters saying, like, we are losing our men and women in, in fire, in law enforcement. Corrections is going completely under fucking radar. Completely. You can't find a whole lot about corrections officers. But I mean, I know the suicide rates are crazy high there, too. I mean, we're losing more to suicide than we are in the line of duty for all of us. So what does that say? It says, you know, it says that we have issues. There's an issue there. Why are we not addressing it? And, and that's like with what you went through is like your agency should have, or could have, I since they should, but could have maybe been there, you know, and been like, oh shit, instead of firing this guy, hmm, maybe, maybe this guy stressed out. Maybe he exhibited some signs and we just weren't paying attention. And that and that um, really goes to the the stigma surrounding PTSD. I mean, because uh, it's funny that you should mention that because in my first year, there was a series of calls that there was a tipping point. So you know, I'm macho. I, I'm seeing all this cool stuff. You know, there's a, a I'll give you just a brief series of events that happened prior to this incident that I'm going to tell you about. So run this call, uh, 18 year old on a brand new motorcycle, um, T-bones, uh, plumbing truck that ran a stop sign and went right into his path. T-bones it, uh, along with another car, the, pl the plumbing truck flips the only thing that we can really guess is that this kid's helmet hit right on the corner of the toolbox of the, uh, of the plumbing truck. Cause the helmet full face helmet, it was split right down the middle. It was together when we pulled it off of his head, when we arrived on scene, he's in the middle of this just giant pool of coagulated blood. I bet. And we rolled him over and it just felt like this sack of rocks. Mm. There was no bones intact. It was, they were just fragments under his skin. And when we pulled the helmet off, his face opened up mm. and his brain was completely, it, it was gone. It, it was just, there was no brain in his skull. And we saw chunks of it in the oh, road. Shit. 
So there was that. And then shortly after that was a multiple, multiple vehicle accident at this major intersection. Whereas uh, the, the main priority was this station wagon that had a family with a bunch of kids. Um, the woman in the passenger side front seat was holding a baby. There was three kids and that baby that were ejected from the vehicle. And when we arrived on scene, it was just horrendous. You know, people were freaking out and I was at a one engine station and the closest uh, EMS units were, you know, 10 minutes away. Yeah, so, that's never fun. That's never fun. So, and it was right around the corner from the station. So we were there before law enforcement, everybody, and it was just, it was horrendous. Next call that just triggered this conversation at the station. Um, we were getting, it was almost shift change. We get called for an auto versus pedestrian. This group of middle school kids tried running across this road. Well, the chubby girl of the group couldn't run as fast as the other kids and she got nailed. And when we got on scene, her shoes were, you know, 50 yards away and she had that deer in a headlight look and she was like clawing her way away from the car that hit her and her leg was dragging behind her just a piece of muscle was keeping it on uh attached to her body and i was like what the you know arrive on scene and it's like holy shit what do we you know we get back to the station after that and the oncoming shift is in the bay. We come in, we sit down at the table and we're talking. And I was like, talking to these senior guys. And I'm like, hey, uh, you know, I've only been here for a few months, but I've seen like some pretty horrendous things. I, I can only imagine what you guys have seen. Like, do you guys have nightmares or, you know, like, how do you deal with that? Because I'm sure it adds up. And this guy pushes away from the table. He's like this senior guy, very well respected. You know, I looked up to him and he pushes away and he's like, Jesus fucking Christ, you fucking pussy. Are you kidding me? How long you been on the job? You might want to rethink your, uh, your choice and career here. Like, you know, I'm sure they're hiring at Home Depot. You might want to think about it. Like, if you're already concerned about what you've seen, then this clearly isn't the job for you. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm cool. I was just wondering about you guys. <laughs> so, for 20 years, I didn't say another word. Mm-hmm. And that shit added up. Oh, fuck yeah. And that's, you know, and, and here's the thing, right? Like, everybody's so big into like okay so here's what we hear here's here's you know here's what we this is what happens and just for everybody listening i'm about to get on my soapbox this is my bread and butter okay so i've built an entire company around helping first responders um with their emotional and mental resiliency okay so here's the thing dave it's like this we have people over here just like that 
just like that guy, right? It's like, what are you doing, Junior? Get the fuck out of here. You, you know, you're a puss bag. You don't belong in the job. Then we have like, we come way on the other end of the spectrum. And it's like, everybody should go to counseling. And, and, and here's what I want to say. I've been to a counselor. I'm not talking shit, okay? But in the middle, you know what would just alleviate so much shit? Productive briefings. I can tell you in law enforcement, and I know FDs like this because I know you guys have time to shoot the shit. Like, let's just be honest. You guys got movie theaters and stuff. Like, it's pretty cool. (laughs) Like, you know, but like, we have the time to have productive briefings, meaning if we just all shot the shit and just chatted about things, but like productively and like our leaders, our supervisors were actually trained like in emotional intelligence and was like, listen, no, you have to have these conversations and you don't get to cut it up short, cut them up short. You don't, you know, throw some busting of the balls in there a little bit because it just wouldn't be, you know, we wouldn't be first responders if we didn't do that shit. But like, if we could just talk and process together, do you realize how much better we would all feel, number one, and number two, how it would bring us all closer together? And there would not be as much cutthroat and backstabbingness that's going on. You know, I was talking to, I can't remember, there was a debrief I was a part of. And in it, there was this officer and they were like dealing with this situation. I can't really remember what it was specifically, but at the end of the briefing, this officer was like, I'm so glad we did this because I'm not going to lie. I was kind of pissed off at Frank. Like, Frank, I was really pissed off at you because I didn't understand why you did what you did. Is in my opinion, you should have done this. But now that I know what was going through your head and what you saw that I wasn't seeing, I, I get it, man. Like, I would have done what you did too. And like, I'm so glad we had this conversation. And I'm like, it is that fucking simple. It is that fucking simple. And that conversation would have like helped you. Can you imagine 20 years in fire service? And if you just daily, we spent half an hour, you know, just kind of, Hey, that call, man, that call that really kind of, that was fucked up. Like that was fucked up. Like, how are you guys doing? What did you see? What did you see? What did you see? You know, if we did that, we would solve so many problems, but yet, oh no. We can't do that. And if you want to talk about your problems, you better go get a counselor. That's that's the mindset. Yeah. And let's talk about the counselors. I don't know how it is in Maine, but you know, we have the employee assistance program where you can go and you get like five sessions for free or whatever. And it's wow. never it's never anybody that uh, in my experience. It's never anybody that specializes in PTSD or traumatic events centered in public safety or first responders. Or first responders, a hundred percent, hundred percent. And that's why I'm telling you the whole idea of like, let's just change that briefing. Like, so I'm going to just tell you a little bit about what I'm doing right now. Okay. So, um, I have created this, it's called emotional tactics training. Okay. You can become an emotional tactics instructor, or you can call it life coaching. I have some people who are calling it life coaching and they will get the certification that they are certified life coach under me. I've been doing this for, you know, over six years. I have a little bit of an idea. If agencies would just 
if agencies would just do this, Dave, right? If we would just train up our guys, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Let's just train up our people. And so that it's not to go out and be these, you don't have to go be this big wig, right? Like, so if the person listening to me right now is like, yeah, I don't really want to go train, take a, like train. I don't want to train somebody. I, I would much rather just kind of get trained myself and then like bring it to the agency kind of like on the DL. I've done that. I've taken a lot of different trainings that I just took. And like, I, I wasn't like, okay, now I'm an instructor and I'm going to teach you. Right. Like sometimes we don't want to do that, but like, if we just got, you know, uh, trained, and the right stuff. And then we slowly start changing the culture together. And it's like, you know, administrations and leaders start really opening the door to talk about like, yo, like, we're not always going to talk about your feelings, but like right now, because we respect one another. We do not respect somebody who's not one of us. Is you know, very few and far between do we do that. And, that, and that's the truth. Just touching on your point is like these we have counselors and stuff who are great, but they might just not be great for first responders. Or we start going to them and then we're like, this fucking idiot doesn't understand me. And it's and it's not because they're an actual idiot. It's just that, you know, we are unique. We are special individuals who run towards, you know, gunfire, run towards fire and while everybody else is running away. And so you have to kind of be on our level. If we're going to, if we're going to buy into you, you got to be on our level. So. Yeah. Now just to shift gears a little bit. Um, Cause I, I want to get some perspective on, you know, what it, what it's like being a, a woman in a male dominated occupation. So what was the hardest challenge that you had to overcome uh, to get into law enforcement and, and how did you overcome that? Or maybe what was the hardest challenge you had to overcome once you were in law enforcement? So I think here's the deal. I think that the biggest challenge for every female, doesn't matter if you're a firefighter, an EMT, correctional officer, or a cop is respect. Okay. And I know that because I'm judging, I'm judging a rook immediately. And I'll tell you why. Backup is everything in law enforcement. Okay. If you, if, if you're a shit show, but you have my back, like, and when, if I, if shit goes bad, I know you're going to help me, whatever, I'll deal with that. You know what I mean? Like, but, but, you know, we have a lot of females. I actually just made a reel about this. I'm really funny about this. And I, I get a lot, a lot of people I catch some flack because some females, they get offended, which I have to tell you this face. I think I I saw what you're talking about. Is that where you had your hair all done? Absolutely. (laughs) I do not give a shit. Okay. Because it was a reel about this girl who's got her hair all curled up. And on the first day she walks into the PD, like, Hey, with her hair all done. And then, you know, I was in my police uniform. I like, to that song, oh no, oh no, no, no. And like, I made a face and, and that's the truth. That really is the truth. Um, and here's what I wanna say is like, um, I I feel like I'm an expert in this in this category because I've, I've done it. I showed up like when uh, pre going to like full-time law enforcement, I was this like deputy, right? And what did I do? I showed up to my interview looking like a really pretty female. 
okay, well, nobody told me that's not what you do. You don't do that. You look like a cop. You put your, you pin your hair back. If you're going to wear makeup, make it only be mascara and do not wear high heels. Like, because they have to picture you in a uniform. You've got to, they need to know what you're going to be like professionally in a uniform. Nobody told me that shit. Right. And so I, I bust on other women and I bust on that because that was me. I learned the hard way. Don't do that. I got judged within the first three months of my career. Everybody thought like I was, I got labeled this huge slut and I wasn't. And I, I had a boyfriend, like I wasn't sleeping around or anything. But what happened is I was pretty and bubbly personality, right? And that's just who I am. But I didn't, there was a lot that I didn't realize. And so just to kind of go back to, you know, just to go back to your question is like respect is really huge. It's like for every female being in a male dominated world, especially being a police officer, like I had to earn respect and it took a while. It took, it took a little while because I had. How did you do that? Well, I'll tell you what, about one call that was really, here's how you do that. First off is you get your shit together and you put your hair back. Okay. None of this, how my hair is right now, dangly, you do that. You don't need to be caked in makeup. Okay. You're, you're beautiful without it. It's not a beauty pageant. You can look good. You put some makeup on, but you know, just, just know that because everyone is wondering like what the heck is going on. And, and the second and the third thing is, is do martial arts and train in martial arts because I was never afraid to take a punch. In fact, they would call me the pit bull because I would be, I would be in the situation. I'm calling people on their bluff. Like before any guy was going to be into a fight, I was already there. I'm like, no, fuck you. I'm in. And that like, it was to them. It was like, they never had to worry about me. Like they were never like, cause there's a lot of people, men and women who just cause a lot of issues. They just cause issues when we're going to calls. Like I'll never forget like dealing with a female officer who was just like, like just a guy needed to be arrested. He was a belligerent asshole and we had been getting calls on him all night long and he was a dick and she's just sitting there talking to him. And finally I pushed her out of the fucking way. And I was like, you're coming with me and I don't give a fuck. And you know what he did? He didn't even fight me probably because I caught him off guard, but there's my command presence. But you know, we, we have to earn our respect by that way. And I tell every female who wants to be a police officer, you need to go and, and you need to take martial arts probably in the firehouse. It's, it's really just do what the guys do, or if not as good as you guys do a little bit better and just try to be one of the guys to an extent. Cause we, I do believe that when we need women, we need the balance, but don't misunderstand. You are in a male, do- like this is a male dominated career it has been since the beginning. And there's a reason for that. There's not a lot of women can, that can hack it. It's just the truth. Um, but one of the calls that was really life-changing for me, I was still, I was a deputy and there was this big guy, big. And I mean like six, five, like two fifty, And he and his baby mama just went through, um, <clears throat> like a divorce hearing or, or a custody battle. And those really got really bad. And I'm in the courthouse and something happened and he and I ended up outside and he started running his mouth. And I, and this was pure instinct for me because I hadn't gone to the academy, but this is just who I was, is I told, I got on the radio, just told my guys, I said, yeah, I got an uncooperative male out front. 
they came before they even got there. I wasn't even thinking about them. I was in, I was dealing with this guy. Like I was like, now you listen here. And if, if it would have went bad, honestly, he probably could have kicked my ass. Like he, I I mean, I had a few positions that I could have really like got his knees, kicked him in the groin. Like I could have done a little something, something, but like, if he really wanted to kick my ass, he, he could have really, cause he was that he was huge. And, uh, but I didn't, I made him think that I was bigger than him that moment. And I just told him, look, like, and I just got on his level and I'm like, she's a bitch. Like, don't worry about her, but I'm telling you right now, you're not coming in my courthouse treating me like this. I'll be goddamned. And he's like, ma'am, I'm sorry, ma'am. So my backup comes out as he's saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're right. You're right. I was wrong. And like my, the guys were like, holy shit. They saw my presence. They saw what I was saying. They saw that I wasn't just fueling the fire. I was actually using verbal judo. I was actually getting him to understand. I wasn't being this. I know in like these stories, sometimes it really does sound like I'm just being like this instigator, but I really wasn't. I I talked him into really realizing he was being a dick and he realized it. He said he was sorry, got in his car and left. And like, I turned around and they were like, they actually were giving me a like clapping. And these were like older senior guys who've been doing police work for 15, 20 years. And they're like, that, that's awesome. Like, holy shit. Didn't know you had it in you. Like, that was awesome. Like you're one of us now. Like that was the day, like they accepted me because they knew I could handle it on my own. Nobody likes to have to take care of somebody else. We don't get in the job to take care of each other that way. We want to, we all kind of want to be, you know, like neck and neck, shoulder to shoulder when we go and deal with things. Right. And we have each other's backs, but like, don't, don't be a fuck up, man. (laughs) You know? And, And so I really think that's how I earned respect. And I think, I think every female could go back and listen to that story and really, and really, um, take a few things away to help them moving forward. Yeah. Now, I've heard uh, a couple comments in the past about women in law enforcement, the military, uh, the fire service. And I've heard women say this, uh, not just men, but that, you know, when, when the shit hits the fan, you don't want some woman trying to pull you out of harm's way. You want, you know, a big burly guy grabbing you because a woman's not going to be able to do it just physiologically it can't they just can't do it now i disagree with that but i i want to get some perspective like how tall are you and i mean so i'm built like a brickshire house i'm five six and a half i'm like a, i don't know a buck 70 buck 75 and like so pretty diesel yeah. Yeah. I can take a punch, but I can pack a punch. And let me tell you something right now. If I need, if I need to get you the fuck out of the way, I'll get you out of the way, you know, but, but I'm going to tell you, and this is where mindset comes into play. I know girls, my size, and they're like, they're fluffy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm not fluffy. There's, I mean, I'm wearing a baggy sweater, but I'm not fluffy. I'm not like, I'm not like, I, I don't spend, I don't live in a gym. Like if you catch my drift, but I'm just naturally this way. And so like, I'll get you the fuck out of the way. Also, you know, as you know, as being a lifetime martial artist, I'll manipulate you. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'll, I'll bring you where you need to go, whether, you know, so I don't know. I mean, 
you know, being a female in a male dominated world, you're always the underdog. And I'm not going to say like, men are stronger than us. I'm not going to sit here and play dumb. Of course, of course. And I respect the hell out of, you know, that. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously there's been a lot of times where I had to pick up like dead bodies and I had to, you know, do kick down doors and shit. And like, when I see a male counterpart, I'm like, hell yeah, thanks buddy. (laughs) uh, You you can do this a lot better than I can. (laughs) Well, so I, I want to, I want to throw, uh, some some facts out there because i i know it's a it's a misperception it, it's it's not accurate it's not gender that determines a person's ability to mm. to do the job mm-hmm. it's it's an individual's drive and and how hard they train to be able to accomplish the mission yes and at my department we trained extensively on, and it was specifically with people that are bigger than you and dragging them out and using proper mechanics mm-hmm. to, to make it happen. Now, there's a, a ton of studies when you, know, you have uh, a RIT activation on the fire ground. So RIT stands for rapid intervention team. So if just say uh, there's a roof collapse and you've got a team of people inside, or just for example, one person gets trapped. They, the, the studies show that it's going to take a minimum of eight firefighters to extricate one firefighter. Wow. So the, you know, if the situation is, is that one person goes down and you've got your, your partner with you, there are mechanics. If there's no entrapment or anything like that, you can grab them a certain way and you use proper body mechanics to drag them out. You don't have to be bigger than that person. You just got to know how to manipulate their body and how to use your body to mm-hmm. get the momentum to drag them out and out of harm's way. So I, I'm 200 pounds with all my gear on, probably 250, 260. I have been drug out of a, a training prop that, you know, with rough plywood floors and carpet and stuff like that, where it, there's friction. It's not like a slick surface. And I've had a five foot two woman grab me and pull me out. And mm-hmm. that was a big eye-opener for our entire department to go through that training because I know that there was a mindset that, you know, I, I don't want to be in there mm-hmm. with her, you know. But mm-hmm. the thing is, is that there's little guys on the department too. There are. Mm-hmm. So this this whole... I just I think it's again right I just think it's the theme of like 2020 maybe moving into 2021 we really can't judge books by their cover we just can't and it's just it's so much to the person I mean there's little teeny weeny cops you know what I mean who I'm like please males I'm like oh no I'd take her over you like get away you know what I mean it's the same you know in fire but it's what's in here it's what's in the heart you know yeah if they're if they 
if they're like, no, like I got this and I, and they put everything they have into it. Like, I'll take that five, two female, whatever, you know? I had a question. Did, did being female hinder any of your goals in law enforcement? So the last department that I worked for, the last department that I worked for, okay, here's what I'm going to say. Sexism is real. I'm just going to be honest. And the last department I worked for, to give you an example, they only still to this day only have a female in a corporal position. They have sergeants, lieutenants, um, deputy chiefs and chiefs. And there's no female in those positions. Um, In the first department I worked for, there's no females in any command positions. Okay. Like that's a bunch of bullshit. All right. And, um, and the department that I love, it was like my middle department that I only left just because my husband, he lives, like he, um, his state police sent him two hours South of where my department was. And so, um, it was just easier for me to relocate. That's true love. Okay. That's really true love because I loved that department and, uh, they actually have a, one female, in the sergeant position um there it's like so how many how many females are in these departments my last department they have like an entire shift full of females so it's not like they're few and far between i mean there was five or six of us it's a 50 person department in every like that was that included every single position i'm not that big department and there's no need of it um so yeah do i think so yeah i mean that we have some the truth is and i'll call spade a spade as we have a lot of conservative um old school chiefs who you know have their head right up their ass that's that's the truth uh, and, and that's what we're fighting, you know? So, um, I have a company, it's called changing the culture. Uh, that's what my podcast is called. And, and, you know, I'm out here, uh, working to get into police departments and really, you know, administer trainings. We're building a nonprofit, which I'm really excited about. So that money no longer becomes an issue because it'll just be like, okay, you know, we're coming in, we're going to help. You don't need to pay us. Um, Anyways, the biggest hurdle I'm finding, Dave, are these these department heads, where they're just like, oh no, we're you know we've been doing it this way for so long, and we are okay, and maybe the statistics out there are like this, but we are okay, and it's like, holy cow, Damn. you know, and I think it probably if I'm if I'm honest, a piece of me just wonders if that like stops a lot of like what I'm looking to have happen as well. Like, like I told you really looking at training police departments, getting in there, being a resource for these officers, like teaching, teaching just like simple skills, like uh, emotional wellness and resiliency in a way that's really out of the box. I'm super out of the box, but I'm, I'm one of you, I'm I'm a first responder. And so I've really, you know, really great traction. Um, and I have really good luck with cutting through the bullshit because if you talk, I mean, you, if anybody's been listening to this for more than five minutes and you know, I'm really a straight shooter as really, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. And, um, most first responders respect that is that's all we're looking for. We deal with bullshit all day long. We don't want to, we don't want to deal with it. We don't want to hear it. Right. And, um, you know, sometimes I wonder if being a female, I think a lot of chiefs are like, it's fucking crazy female, you know? <laughs> and so, I don't know. I mean, I don't like pulling the female card very much. Honestly, I, I don't let it be an excuse. And I'll be honest, 
but I mean, maybe it could, I have no idea. Again, I just don't let it be an excuse. I say, all right, let's keep going. You know, if you say no, there's, uh, you know, thousands more I'm going to, someone is going to say yes. (laughs) A, A lot of what you teach, it feels to me a lot like what, what I've, and what a lot of other people term uh, self-leadership, being an effective self-leader, that resiliency uh, component, emotional intelligence, that sort of thing. Can you give me uh, an idea of your personal uh, leadership philosophy? I lead from the front. (laughs) I I would never... Yeah, I would never ask anybody to do anything that I wouldn't do. Um, I'm really big. So right now I'm teaching um, a life coaching certification. Um, by the time this airs, this will be closed. But my the the uh, values, right, that I'm teaching in this course is communication, leadership, and resiliency. And I really, that's really what my company is all about. That's who I am personally, right? Because communication is huge. Like I, like I told you, I grew up in an Italian family. Communication is not our strong point. Okay. It just doesn't like, it just isn't. I had to learn that. I learned that through the job, through being married and through this company and through my business of really helping other first responders. Um, I think that's, I think that's really important, especially if you want to be a leader, you have to communicate. So many people just expect people to do certain things and then get so upset when they don't do them. But I'm like, yo, whoa, do they even know? Like, what are you doing? And how, how's your communication? And, you know, and then we start getting mad and being short with people. And then we, then, you know, their performance goes down. And then we're like, oh, that fucking guy's lazy. And it's like, well, is he lazy or does he just not know what's expected of him? Or were you short with him? And who the fuck wants to do anything for somebody who's an asshole? I don't, you don't. You know, none of us do. So I just think communication is huge and it goes right into leadership. Like if the better communicator you are, the better leader you're going to be. And, you know, leadership, right? You got to be respected. You've, and, and you know how you be respected? You never demand respect. You earn it by respecting the people who you are leading. You know, think about that and think about, you know, I just, I, I just have this huge philosophy, you know, I've been leading, I've been in leadership capacities my whole life as in the, especially, especially in the martial arts. I mean, I led my, I have, I was on a part of a sport karate team and I led my sport karate team to multiple championships. Um, and, and it, I was young and I was young teaching, you know, teaching these young martial arts. And I'm like, I'm like 13 years old and I had to figure it out. Cause why would anybody, I, I was teaching adults and it's like, I had to really figure out how to be a leader. Right. And, and I think, you know, that's so big is just giving respect in order to get it. You have to give it and you have to really care about people and, and never, ever, ever, ever ask your person to do something that you wouldn't do or haven't already done. And that's, that's really, I'm really big on that. And, um, and then we have resiliency, uh, in, you know, to define that as your ability to bounce back truly. And, um, I live by that. And what helps me um, is a lot of mindset work, constant. I am constantly, I have, I've created this process of, you know, um, which is what I teach in my courses. Basically, it's just like, we have to, we have to retrain our brain and flip our thoughts. And, you know, um, I do a lot of that. I do a lot of journaling. I exercise. I, um, 
I, I do meditate not, you know, I know a lot of people don't get behind that, that it's good for me. Uh, a lot of different other techniques. I'm constantly growing my brain constantly. Um, I'm never the same person I was a month ago. I'm just, I'm constantly evolving. And um, if you're that and a leader, if your leader is doing that, you want to do that, right? If you see your, somebody who you look up to is constantly making themselves better and better and better, you want to be better because you're like, I'm coming with you. I'm coming with you, especially if you like them, you know? Yeah. And it, it, just to play off of something you said, you know, communication being that, that foundation of, of sound leadership, but that's also the best way to show somebody that you respect them by communicating with them and actually listening to what they have to say. hundred percent. So yeah, that's, and that way you're building trust and you, you know, you can build that cohesion uh, with your team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, how, how has your leadership philosophy been shaped by others? And, you, you know, you spoke about your personal experiences, um, you know, teaching martial arts and, and leading the, the competitive team. But I, I'm sure you've learned just as much from your your failures as you have with your successes. Can I learned you... more from failing, absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, I think I think what's shaped my and, and listen, I'm I'm not saying I'm a perfect leader. I will say that I do think I'm very good at it. Um, I will tell you, I have a lot of first responders that take money every single month out of their pocket, give it to me to work with me and be around me. My officers, they don't leave me. I mean, we're going on three years, two or three, I think it's three years in April. We've been together. Um, I have a lot of one-on-one clients paying me good money to be with me. And the only reason I believe that that is happening and they're getting the results that they're getting is because of my leadership skills. And, and the reason I have honed in my craft, okay, is because um, I've had a lot of bad leaders. I That really drove me to be okay with getting out of police work, like, and not being like, okay, I'm going to go get surgery and like, I'm going to make this work. Because like, let's be real, maybe that could have been an option. But I was like, you know what, the, you know, my sergeant was playing video games our entire shift. And then when he saw me call someone on their shit, like somebody who I was dealing with in the public, he would tell me I'm too curt. Okay. Like he went and looked that up in the dictionary just to put that on my eval. He really did. Like that's awful leadership. Yeah, no, truly that that's awful leadership. He also wrote me up for saying fuck in my cruiser when there was on Christmas Eve, 10 minutes prior to me going home, there was a 10 person fight in the middle of the street. I'm in my cruiser. And I said, what the fuck? But my lights were activated. So it started like recording and he wrote me up for that. That is awful leadership. Like that's just, he was just busting my balls. He just didn't like me. Now listen to me. I'm type A, I'm a motherfucker. I know that. But you give, if you're a strong leader, then you're going to like me because I'm going to be your best friend and I'm going to make you look really fucking good. Right. Um, Yeah. I led my shift in numbers constantly. That's why every sergeant wanted me on their shift is because they, uh, um, admin would get out of their ass because I was always busy because I'm like, I I can't sit still. Right. Um, But I had a lot of really bad leaders, really bad, awful from the chief down. Um, 
you know, and I just fucking was like, I hated them so bad and like hated how they led so bad. I was like, I will never be like you. And you are the reason why the culture sucks. Like you just said, and um, yeah, but we see a lot of it and everybody listening to this right now can relate to that. So do what I did, take that and let it make you better and don't dwell on it. Just be like sitting in the back of your head and be like, you are an idiot because you are a bad leader, but I'm going to take that and I'm going to not forget that. And I'm going to apply it to make myself a really good leader. One of the things that I've talked about uh, on the show previously is my theory on why there's a leadership vacuum in the fire service and based on some of my conversations with law enforcement uh, personnel, it's the same in law enforcement as well. There's a leadership vacuum. And I believe that it's directly related to that old school mentality. You know, you've got the- 100%. The- We've been doing it this way forever, so we're not gonna change. And typically the, the individuals in charge are older white men. <laughs> and it's true. They're, uh, they're kind of set in their ways. They've got them in that mentality that whether they vocalize it or not, mm-hmm. you know, just through their actions or their lack of action that they could give two shits if there's more women in the industry or not Mm -hmm. and you can look at the makeup of the departments Mm -hmm. you know those those agencies some of the more progressive agencies they'll have more women and they'll have more women like good women in leadership positions Mm -hmm. they're able to recruit good women and retain them in the agency. To me, that's a sign of really good leadership at the top. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that's not commonplace. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things that, you know, I've hypothesized is that women bring a different perspective, a different type of leadership action to to the game Mm -hmm. and you know men are stronger in other parts just you know to talk about emotional intelligence by and large women are better communicators they're better at empathizing better at connecting uh on a personal level with with their people and men aren't typically the best communicators and they could really give two shits if you work for me you know and this is bad leadership but if you work for me you just do what i say i'm the one in charge 100 so i feel like the culture in, in public safety has got to change to be more inclusive of women do a better job at retaining good solid women leaders so that you know good leadership both male and female can kind of collaborate and complement one another 
and then we end up with good solid leadership like you would see in like a fortune 500 company that Mm -hmm. has good solid female leadership and the men and women work together and have great great outcomes yep um i i just in, in your experience maybe in your first department is that the department where uh you said it was pretty good as far as women and my second department yeah second department was good as far mm-hmm. as inclusivity mm-hmm. now how would you what would you say the chief of that department was doing right well i'll tell you what um the deputy chief who was now the chief when i was there he was the deputy chief he would come down every single day in briefing and shoot the shit he 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 was one of us he was um on the special response team so he would train with us <laughs> one of my first like my first week there they put me I had to go to and train with SRT and I had to get into a fight with the deputy chief. And so I am like, I'm on his back and I jumped on his back. Cause this guy's like, he's a hockey player, like stocky dude. I jump on his back and I get him in the like lion uh, choke and he's like tapping out. <laughs> and I'm like, that take that. And he's like, all right, I'll take it. Like, um, and he was cool. Like he just, you never felt like he was judging you. Obviously he wanted things done appropriately but he just was one of us um and he just and you know he respected a squared away woman it it wasn't about male or female it was like can you do the fucking job that's it and and it didn't matter like and you know and and that department to get up department is the busiest department in our in my state per officer because they're really low on officers so there's other like higher like other cities with more calls but like they have a lot of officers so the, the officers weren't going to as many calls i was going to more calls um i was the busiest that agency those officers are, we were the busiest in the state and so we, we got a lot of experience and and but you had to hack it you had to be able to hack it i mean you were i mean it would be nothing to be in three fights in one night arrest two people i mean and deal with a dead body i mean that would be nothing in one night like that's what we dealt with and, and that's a lot uh, you know your emotions <laughs> you know the hypervigilance pattern like it was a lot but you know he was cool and he and he was very involved but not micromanaging just involved um and 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 it was all about, can you do the job, you know? And then I go to another department and it, they just, you know, we have to have a female or two because of the numbers, right? Because if we don't have any females, that doesn't look good. But, you know, we're just going to keep them where we can control them. So CID is like about the highest they're going to go. And like, we're just going to keep them there, you know? And, um, and that was that environment. And, uh, you know, my last department, some facts on that is that is a 50 person department. And within the last seven years, they've had a turnover rate of 50 employees. So that should be an indication of some serious fucking leadership issues. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what are your thoughts on my hypothesis? Do you you have anything to add? The, The hypothesis of you know, the, the culture needs to change in order to have 
more women in leadership positions, more retainment, and in turn, that would really cause that leadership vacuum to deteriorate. 100%. I mean, I think we need to understand is that men and women balance each other out. Okay. This world would not be great. And we probably wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't have anybody if it was just one sex, like we balance each other out. It's just how it is. And so I think that we're ignorant to think that, you know, our law enforcement, our, our first responders, our FDs, our correctional facilities, like if we do not have the proper like checks and balances of a man who's the head and the women or woman who's the head and like, you know what I mean? And balancing each other out and really working together. I, I think that we have yet to see how successful that can be. But I have to say that in this day and age with all the turbulence and all of the massive changing that we're seeing, I, I, a lot of, you know, we can all have our opinions on a lot of it. Um, and I won't, we don't need to get into that, but I can say that I do think that we are going to see some positive change, uh, as far as that, you know, that obviously none of us want to see a department head get in the job who can't do the job. Who's, who's awful. None of us want to see that male or female, but I do think that, you know, as we can incorporate more females in squared away females who've done the job, know the job, great leaders, just as the same as males, I think that we are going to have much better run departments and we are going to see a decline in suicides because women give a shit. Women want, want to talk about your feelings. Like we just do, <laughs> you know, and, and the, the, in my opinion, we are having such mental and emotional health issues because we're not processing how we actually feel. We're pretending to be somebody who we're really not. We're putting on this armor, but we're never taking it off, you know? And so what are we doing? We're numbing out. It doesn't work. It hasn't worked. Prior to, to starting this episode, we were talking about this book that was recommended to me, Athena Rising. Uh, it was written by two, and I've actually talked about this in previous episodes. It was written by two naval officers, male naval officers. And the, the purpose of the book is to reinforce the benefit of men mentoring women in male dominated fields. And I was just wondering if you could talk about maybe some of the mentors, uh, you know, male mentors in your career and, and how they, how they were most effective and maybe how some of them failed. Yeah. So my, um, my first patrol FTO, uh, he really had such a huge impact on my career. And I just think it's really important that everybody knows like, if you're a field training officer in any capacity, just understand uh, it becomes redundant because you've done it a hundred times. Right. But just know the impact that you're having on that person. You're just so impactful and like, they will never forget you. Um, you're really, you know, you're with them during the most high stress times of their life, learning how to do the job, you know? And so um, you really become like imprinted in their brain. And so it's a really special job to have. Um, and it's very important that agencies are putting the correct leaders into these positions. My, um, my FTO was, he was so good. Uh, we had a conversation. Um, rem remember how I told you, like when I first started, I got a bad rep <clears throat> and a lot of people thought that I was a slut. Well, I 
And I suggest every female do those. I nipped it in the ass. And when I first day I got in his car, first 20 minutes, first five minutes, got into the car and I looked at him and I said, I just want to be honest with you. I'm going to have a conversation with you right here, right now. I said, you heard, you've heard a lot of shit about me. Law enforcement's a small world. I want you to know I'm not a slut. I'm not going to try to hit on you. I want nothing to do with you. I don't want anybody to do with anything in this department. I have a rule. And that rule is, is I will not date, fuck, or marry anybody who I fucking work with. And just so you know. And he was, because he was, he was nervous about it. He's a good looking guy. He was in a relationship and he like didn't want any problems. At the end of my FTO, he told me, he said, I just want to tell you something. That conversation you had with me that day changed everything. That day, you earned every ounce of respect right there, that moment. Not a lot of people would have done that. And he's like, I just want you to know, like, I, I really respected that. And that feedback really meant a lot to me. He, um, he didn't crush me. He walked me through a lot of shit. My first ever uh, vehicle um, that I pulled over was right in front of the apartment I was renting, but I forgot the address. I was so scared. I'm like on the radio and I look at him and I'm like, his name was Donnie. Donnie, where the fuck are we? And he's like, Clifford, that's where you live. I'm like, I don't care. I don't know where the fuck we are. <laughs> you know, like, what's the address? <laughs> And he didn't judge me for that. He was just like, you were in the black. I'm like, oh man. And we, but he would talk through things with me. And let me tell you, he was hard on me. Like, I'm not going to lie, but he was cool. Like he was cool. Cause he, he, I respect him. I still do. I still did, you know? And, and I think it was cause he just wasn't a huge dick. He was a dick when he needed to be, believe me, there was plenty of shifts. I left feeling like shit, but he, he just, he let me learn. He created an environment where I could actually learn. And I think that's important. Just remember, like when we're just coming down hard on everybody, can't fucking learn. You know, we're so afraid to fuck up that we fuck up more. It's like, you're gonna mess up, but like, don't come down so hard on these people. The first 12 weeks of their training, whether they, they are turning into this person, this first responder, you know, that they never had to be. Now, speaking of books, do you have any any books that you would recommend? Oh, I uh, I have a mastermind and we read books every single month. I love books. I am an Audible uh, fanatic. And actually, I just posted on my Instagram. You can go and you can go and look. It won't be there by the time anybody looks. My Instagram is uh, Officer Autumn. But on my Instagram this morning, I actually posted like the five books that I just carry around. <laughs> I carry them around my house with me just in case I'm like, and I'll sit down and read them. Um you know, for law enforcement, the Bible is called Emotional Survival of Law Enforcement, although I do think firefighters could get a lot out of that as well. It's going to talk to you a lot about your hypervigilance uh, pattern. Um, it's going to talk to you about why you feel the way that you feel. Um, yeah, I'm assuming you have it. Yeah, I actually do. <laughs> On my podcast, which is called Changing the Culture, I actually interviewed the author of that. And I'm going to tell you, one of the best interviews I've ever had. You can go listen to it. He is just phenomenal. He's a 20 year uh, veteran police officer and he turned into um, a psychologist. And this guy is just, he's awesome. Dr. Kevin Gilmartin. Um, so I highly recommend that book for everybody. And then I go get, like, I go get real like self-helpy. Um, I'm the only self-help expert who's a female cop in the industry. Uh, definitely doing things differently. Um, and for me, uh, like I told you, the universe has your back. That book is really by Gabrielle Bernstein. Unless I'm going to be honest, I do not agree with the author's political views. 
but I don't care because this book is good. And it really is going to get you out of a dark time. If you're in a dark time and you need something a little self-helpish and you're open to spiritual principles, it, it'll, it'll get you, it'll take you out of that dark spot. Um, you know, I'm trying to think, Ah, uh, I mean, I'm looking at my bookshelf too. I mean, there's tons. I'm actually writing a book. I'm in the process of it. So when that drops, y'all need to get on that because it's going to be good. But again, it's a self-help book. It's about breaking through your bullshit. Uh, I'm going to teach you, I'm going to tell you my story, but I'm going to teach you how to apply uh, everything I learned to your life and how to break through any, you know, glass ceiling, any roadblock, any hurdles that you're going through um, step by step, which is really cool. Awesome. Do you have a title for it yet? No, not yet. No. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm in the process of writing a book as well. Well, it's written. I just, uh, when I was editing, I was reconfiguring things and I like, I screwed it all up. <laughs> and I was like, I had to just shut it down. I was about to delete the whole thing. I was so mad. <laughs> but uh um donna michaels yeah uh, she's got a great book she uh she's actually been helping me with mine because i i was just i had to just put it away and uh i don't have a name for it yet either <laughs> we both will it just takes a little uh, time yeah no uh i'll be looking forward to reading yours hey thank you likewise yeah um so is there anything that, that we didn't talk about that maybe you'd like to touch on? No, I don't, I don't really think so. I mean, I guess like the last thing I'd just like to leave everybody with is if you're depending on like what you're going through, like a few things I just want to tell you is like, number one, you're not alone. Dave and I both share that we've both been through like some really turbulent times uh, being first responders. And I just think that is just so critical, uh, especially when you first get into the job, you think you have to be the Superman or Superwoman. You got to be tough and you got to be this certain thing. And then, and then, you know, probably about year seven, you go, oh shit, I'm actually human. And um, oh, I'm starting to feel some things or I'm starting to have some injuries or I'm starting to have some health issues. A lot of times that's really connected to stress and suppressed emotions. I just, I just can't say how important it is that you need to be processing your stuff. Um, you know, and I'm, I have a whole company that's there to help. I know Dave's doing some stuff to help podcasts are good. Keep feeding your brain full of good stuff, good podcasts, good books, um, good audios. I got good YouTube channels. Just keep filling your brain because it's so easy for us to scroll on social media and get influenced by the negativity that's going on. It's easy for us to allow our coworkers, our administrations, our command staffs to really get into our heads. And, and, and if they do that, then they own you. And I'm going to tell you right now, fucking no one owns me. And you ought to adopt that mindset because you know, th that's a winner's mindset and you can be a winner. Awesome. Can you, uh, can you give your, your website and, um, uh, again, the, the name of your podcast? Yeah, sure. So my podcast is called Changing the Culture. We have over 125 episodes. Uh, my podcast is uh, geared towards self-help. So you're going to hear me riff a lot. Um, we're about, I don't know, between 20 minute to 30 minute uh, episodes, unless I'm interviewing somebody and it goes a little bit longer. We have some really cool interviews on there too. Um, but you can come and find that. Um, go to my website, autumnclifford.com. 
Um, and you can find changing the culture podcast on my website, or you can find it anywhere. You can listen to podcasts. It's on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. It's on all of that. Um, I hang out a lot on Instagram. Insta is kind of really where, where I hang. You find me at officer autumn. I just joined clubhouse under officer autumn. Um, and you can find me on all the socials, autumn Clifford everywhere. Nice. And uh, speaking of Donna Michaels, just uh, I wanted to plug her book one more time. It's courageously, Absolutely. courageously broken. Awesome book. Great book. And um, I I have a uh, a reading list on my website. I'm actually updating it right now, um, creating a whole page dedicated to to books that I would recommend, whether it be leadership philosophy, self-help stuff. Mm. So um, all of that can be found at hollenbachleadership.com. And I look forward to putting your book on there. Hey, thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for for allowing me to interview you and being so candid. This has been just an awesome conversation. It's really thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, I'll keep in touch and uh, I'd love to have you on again because I'm sure we'll come up with some, some new material to talk about over the coming months. (laughs) Absolutely. Sounds like a plan. All right. Cool. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence please visit hollenbockleadership.com for additional content. Dave's goal is to add value to as many people as possible. So if he can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, please connect with him via email or on one of his social media accounts linked on the homepage of his website. Remember, our failures don't define us unless we let them. And the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.